You pressed play on this podcast with the click of curiosity. It is another dimension, a dimension of mind, a dimension where nothing is sacred and everything is explainable. You're streaming into a land of both inside and outside of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the midside. Welcome to the midside where our security team's response window is quicker than 20 seconds. I'm your host, Justin Emlesneski, the hopeful romantic, and I retroactively and proactively denounce anything anyone has ever said and ever will say on this show. And I'd like to give an extra apology because that opening quip was super esoteric, which maybe my co-host didn't even get. But we'll find out. We'll find out because I have a special co-host this week as William is uh, in Las Vegas doing black hat, white hat, I don't know, some kind of hat stuff. Over with all those hackers in Vegas. So I have a special guest host joining me this trip from our nation's capital, from probably the last time, for probably the last time from our nation's capital, Daniel T. Richards. Love being introduced as special. I don't get introduced as special enough. I'm going to put that from now on in my rider for all speaking gigs. Must introduce me as special guest. Well, except if you like travel to the past and speak in the 90s, you don't want to be introduced as special. Yeah, that would be that'd be terrible. Yes, this is probably the last time you can introduce me as Daniel T. Richards from our nation's capital, as I will be, in fact, moving to uh, not our nation's capital, but our nation's freest state, Florida. Very soon, our house is going on the market in 10 days, if not before. We already have someone interested in buying it and it hasn't gone on the market yet. Shocking. Which is awesome. And... Uh, yeah, as soon as we can get this house sold, we will be on our way to Tampa in my uh, tour to follow Tom Brady, wherever he goes. Yeah, but Tom Brady followed me, remember? Indeed, he did. So I'm following Tom Brady, who's following you. So transitive property. Uh, but Tom Brady never came to California, and you came to California after me. Oh, who am I really following? The plot thickens. What I'm really following is uh, my my wallet because i am tired of paying maryland income tax which is brutal just brutal so moving to florida is like an enormous raise for me which is awesome because i own my own business and giving myself a raise uh feels difficult <laughs> <laughs> well I, I assume it's also not just the the lack of income tax i mean you have a daughter now so there has to be some projection into the future about where you would like your children to grow up well certainly i don't want them to grow up in an area uh, like dc with this sort of uh, horrible people it attracts also the pretentiousness the expense the (laughs) the expertise culture i.e lockdown culture i.e stay in your homes until we tell you you're allowed to leave culture i don't want any of that I'd like them to grow up in a place that's sunny and free and friendly and not that far from Disney World. Yeah. If I could drive to Disney World, that's a plus. Yeah, the only problem is if there's ever a, an accident on uh, I-4 that can increase the travel time exponentially. Uh, do you want to... Uh, what What's the term when you expose someone online? Crap. Docs? Yeah. Do you want me to dox what city you'll be living in? Tampa or St. Pete? 
Yeah, okay. So he doxed himself. I did say Tampa. Oh, did you? Okay. I didn't yes. remember. Uh, yeah, so... Thanks for listening. <laughs> well, I knew already, so when you said that, I tuned out. Because I was like, he's, he's saying that for other people, not for me. During the one quarter of a second I said the word Tampa, <laughs> you just tuned out. Like, I got this. I got this part. <laughs> I didn't remember if you had said it on here because you've said it to me many times. Yeah, so uh, for those listening and who didn't know, he'll be moving to Tampa, which, you know, I live outside Orlando. So those are about 45 minutes apart on a good day travel-wise. They're actually really, really close. I, I sort of uh, liken it to, and it'll be interesting if you have this experience eventually, Dan. I, I liken it to Orange County and L.A., and that hmm. it's really easy to drive between, but there's a lot of open space right now. And maybe for me, it's just PTSD from L.A. But when I drive that I-4 corridor and I go west to, to Tampa, I'm terrified that that's going to get built out and it's going to take forever to get between the two, just like it can, even though L.A. and Orange County are super close in Southern California. Well, unlike California, maybe they have a shot at building a bullet train between the two, but and not for $10 trillion. If, well, well if hold on. Orlando... I'm going to stop you right there. Right, yeah. they're not supposed to build a bullet train. I don't know how fast does a bullet train go. I, I don't know, M- miles per hour. Okay, I don't. <laughs> I don't know what the exact speed is, but they are supposed to be building a train. So I don't know if you know, Brightline is finishing up the train from Miami to the Orlando airport, and then the Orlando airport is supposed to. They're supposed to build the line out to Tampa and have a stop in Disney Springs along the way. So that is in the plans. Hmm. Nice. We'll never see that in our lifetime, probably, but that's nice. Um, I was going to say that if Orlando and Tampa were in Texas, we would call them sister cities because the distance is basically the same distance as Dallas and Fort Worth. And yet we always refer to the Dallas-Fort Worth area as if they're close. They're not close. Yeah, I heard one person here refer to it as the Orlampa area. And I was like, that's not a thing. What? Stop it. No. Stop it. That's not a thing. Don't make that a thing. <laughs> but yeah. Don't make that happen. That's gross. <laughs> I mean, that's... No, definitely Tampa-St. Pete area, right? Yeah. Like, St. Pete is another target for us. Yeah. But um, we'll probably end up in Tampa just because of uh, the housing inventory in St. Pete is much, 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 much smaller. Yeah. And I'm not a millionaire. Yet. Yet. You're moving to Florida so you can become one. That's right. Starting off with that income tax break. Was it Gavin Newsom's... Final question before we get into the show here, right? Hmm. Was it Gavin Newsom's anti-Florida ad that pushed you over the edge to move to Florida? Did you see that ad? <laughs> I did. I did, yeah. He's uh, he's something. <laughs> Man, good thing they have solved all the problems in their state so they can start attacking other states because California is a utopia, let me tell you. That was my favorite part of that ad. We talked about that on the show. That's one of the drops we have. The idea that he tried to make it seem like there was more freedom in California than Florida. <laughs> That's right. Just try to build anything. Literally anything. Well, unless, or- it's, uh, a, a, unless you're a homeless person building a two-story pallet uh, condominium <laughs> on the middle of the street, then you're fine. But try building something on property that you own. First, try owning property. Then, when you become a millionaire and own property, try building something on it and see if it's a freer state than Florida, or any other state, for that matter. Well, and all of this actually goes into the, the first farce we're going to talk about this week. So let's do that in Life on the Midside. <laughs> Just like really fun, 
As always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so through Patreon or Locals. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. That's the midside.com slash Patreon or the midside.com slash Locals. We accept any and all support from one cent to one million dollars, including affirmations, perhaps especially affirmations, because, you know, my parents didn't love me. I'm kidding. If mom and dad actually listen to this, they're not listening to this. Who am I kidding? All right. First story, Daniel, that really stuck out to me as farce this week. And, you know, a lot of people may be like, that's the farce you want to talk about. But to me, it's what we were just talking about with California. So I saw an article, Business Insider, California regulators aim to revoke Tesla's ability to sell cars in the state over the company's marketing of its full self-driving technology. And we'll get into the the article in a second here, right? I'll, I'll pull some quotes out. And there, there's one, like, insane point to me about all of this that is super farcical. But before that, my immediate reaction to this, Daniel, was this has nothing to do with any sort of marketing or anything. This is just how California runs its state. This is the gotcha in the law they're using because they're pissed at Elon for moving things to Texas. Yeah, that's pretty much the take. I don't I don't think there's any other way to interpret what's going on here. Because if you go by the letter of what they're talking about, you could literally never advertise anything about a product that's coming in the future. Thank you. That's Ever. exactly what I was going to say here, right? So to, to read a little bit from, from the article, all you will need to do is get in your car and tell your car where to go. One Tesla advertisement cited in the complaint read, if you don't say anything, your car will look at your calendar and take you there as the assumed destination, which that just in itself seems like a bad idea, right? This is like, this is how your wife catches you <laughs> cheating or something, isn't it? Uh, your Tesla. Or, or, or sends you to the dentist when you don't want to go. You just get in your car and it's like, wait, car, where am I? Where am I? Go? Car? No! That's no the, car! That's the more benevolent joke. Uh, your Tesla will figure out the optimal route, navigating urban streets, complex intersections and freeways to your destination. When you arrive at your destination, simply step out at the entrance and your car will enter park-seek mode, automatically search for a spot and park itself, and then you will hate yourself because it will perfectly parallel park, whereas you can't. A tap on your phone mm. summons it back to you. But because the company's vehicles quote, could not at the time of those advertisements and cannot now operate without a driver, the marketing violates California law about advertisements using untrue claims to market their products, according to the complaints. The penalty for the okay. violations may include suspension or revocation of the company's license to sell cars in the state, as well as paying restitution to customers who were deceiving by the marketing, according to the complaint. First of all, Daniel... This is freedom, right? This is freedom that any time that California decides they don't like what you're doing, they can suspend or revoke your ability to do your your job, to, to run your business. That's freedom. Yeah. And right. second of all, is it ever possible to have no driver for a car? And what I mean by that is it all depends on how you define driver, doesn't it? Isn't there always sure. someone who's operating the device unless it's a independently sentient creature? <laughs> I don't know. I don't begin to understand the technology. I do hope 
that someday I will be able to get into my car and then just immediately take a nap and end up where I want to go, not having done much other than, uh, you know, bring a pillow. Uh, I hate driving. It's my least favorite thing to do. Pretty much wouldn't on the you be, Wouldn't you be too afraid to do that, though? Like, I'd be I'm too afraid. I'm afraid now! Yeah, but you're in control. Like, imagine, this is the thing. Like, I get it. Every time you go to sleep, there's a risk of not waking up, right? But imagine you go to sleep in your car and you never wake up because some dude's auto-driving car slams into your auto-driving car. Is that really <laughs> what you want to do? Is that how you want to go? <clears throat> I think, here's, here's how I... Um, Here's how I view this old man, Justin. No matter how safe of a driver I think I am, I think a computer will be able to do it better eventually. And, and right now, it's statistically like the most dangerous thing I engage in on a daily on a daily basis. Could it be that much more dangerous if uh, Hal is uh, driving me around from 2001 Space Odyssey? No, probably not. It's probably going to be slightly less dangerous, in fact. I do find it interesting, though. I, I don't know. This, this was an article some years ago about the uh, the trolley problem with with self-driving cars, which is, uh, I think the question was asked, like, will your car have a conscience? conscience? And it's like, if the car has to crash into a wall and kill you to avoid killing three school children... <laughs> Which do you want your car to choose? And will it just choose for you? Which is fascinating. Fascinating question. Well, I, I mean, I'm sure the California government would love to get in there and program that, right? And they get to make <laughs> that decision for you, right? Legislating auto morality. I mean, you joke, but that seems very realistic to me. I think that's coming. The Internet of Things morality. I think that's coming. Here's here's the problem with this it's so vague. So I have a couple, a couple of things, but it's so vague as to basically prohibit anyone from advertising anything that's coming soon or some sort of like, I don't know, when Subaru commercials say, you know, our cars are made with love. <laughs> Does it do California regulators break out the, the manual the, and the instructions and tear down the car and be like, no, couldn't find it. Not a, even a little bit of love in here. Can't sell Subarus in California anymore. You guys don't have enough gay trans employees. You can definitely not be <laughs> making your cars with love. <laughs> exactly. This is... That was funnier uh, Tesla... than you gave it credit for. Yeah, I, I'm not allowed to laugh at such things anymore. <laughs> um, I just don't understand because this is clearly an ad that's just forward-looking, sort of setting up like the culture that Tesla wants you to feel, like the the... Um, the emotion they want to drive in you, which is like, we are a future-looking company. We're looking for the next thing. We're looking for the next cool thing that's going to make, that's going to totally revolutionize your life. And maybe not all the things will happen, at least in our lifetime, but it's, it's interesting. It's very forward-looking. It's, I don't know, it reminds me of futuristic commercials where, like, people are uh, manipulating files in the air, right? And have, like, glasses on that project things out into the world, like those tech commercials. It's it's all just sort of a, a sense of life commercial. It has nothing to do with literally what's going to happen. And California should mind their own business. But you mean like every car know, commercial is a sense of life commercial? Oh yeah. I mean, are they um, are they all over? Were they all over those commercials in the '90s where like the cars were like up on one wheel and driving on the Golden Gate Bridge and um, driving on the Empire State Building? Did they ban 
Ford or whoever was doing those commercials. I don't I don't do car things. Sorry. Uh, I do know someone who's uh, a lawyer and one his he's a sort of low level lawyer at a big firm and basically what he does all day is respond to claims for for clients in California courts over the most nonsense crap you could possibly imagine. You know, things like uh you know, are the shampoo bottles say they're nine ounces, but they're actually eight point nine nine seven ounces. And so there's a class action lawsuit against whatever shampoo company. Um, or the picture on the front of the bottle is blue, but the, the the ingredient inside is actually a slight green color. Class action lawsuit against the company because California laws and California courts are so anti-corporation that people bring the most nonsense lawsuits against them so they can get some money out of them. So it doesn't surprise me that this sort of crap happens because California is a communist uh, dystopia. How much money does that guy make? Because they would have to pay me a fuck ton of money, and I, I, I'm very explicit, <laughs> not a shit ton, a fuck ton of money in order to do that job because I would want to blow my brains out because I would feel like I was wasting my time indulging in the irrationalities of an entire state in order just to get some money. I well, would feel like I wasn't being productive. Certainly he's on the good side of it, meaning oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's helping defend people against this nonsense. Oh, that's what I was picturing um, in my mind. I wasn't saying he wasn't defending them, but just the fact that he even needs to defend them. You know what I mean? I know, but imagine the other side. Because there are people out there who work for law firms who take on these cases. Yeah, but I automatically those, assume those, are those people fucks. are already insane. Like, I'm picturing, like, monkeys swinging from chandeliers with, like, clowns trying to pull them down off the chandeliers. Like, like that's what I think of those people. I'm picturing this as somebody sane. And I'm saying, how can somebody sane want to do this all day, every day? Yeah, well, someday Google um, starting salary at a big law firm. And and you will see right. why he happily does it. Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm sure he probably yes. made it's, it, it. When I Google, it probably says starting salary at, at a what kind of at law firm a, did you say? Like big law. Big okay. law firm. If like I, big law is a term. Hold on, let me Google it right now. Starting <laughs> salary at big time law firm. Oh, look at that. It says fuck ton of money. <laughs> fuck ton of money. Okay. So they did what I said, right? That's right. That's uh, that's even with inflation. It's still a like fuck ton of money. <laughs> Yes, indeed. Right, well, we're talking so about California people. can go to hell. Who else can go to hell? Let's keep going. I like this. Uh, the show just be, can, should be called Who Can Go to Hell? Uh, Warner Brothers? Do we want to go to there? Oh, Warner okay. Brothers can go to hell because they also don't listen to us, right? Hmm, sure. And this is not going to be a story about like just Batgirl being canceled because that's not farcical enough. Although that is farcical. Did you hear about that, Daniel? Something, something, Batgirl, lots of millions of dollars canceled. Something, something. Well, yeah, so That's you heard about the, the merger with Warner Brothers and Discovery, and then Discovery's I coming didn't in. I know there was a merger. That's news, I guess. Okay, well, that's why you this got canceled. In. Fill me in. So this, okay. is, this is why this got canceled, because Warner Brothers and Discovery merged. And Discovery are the people who do the, like, my life as a septic tank cleaner. And for some reason, people watch a shit ton of these shows, right? Where you're like, what? A shit ton of a septic tank cleaner? <laughs> Thank you for... For, for putting that's a, what we a do that's it. what we do on the show <laughs> don't act surprised now that is what we do on the show move along <laughs> right so you know for some reason people are watching like you know 
my life as the rich people down the streets made, right? And people watch these shows. And Discovery has made, you know, so much money off of this. You think of the 90 Day Fiance. <laughs> my um, life as a carrot. <laughs> exactly. They took that Rob Snyder bit from South Park and they South figured Park. out how to monetize that, right? Majorly. Mm-hmm. And surprisingly, you know, I don't know how the 90 Day Fiance fia- uh, franchise hasn't ended at this point because... Every time you watch it, you're like, this is just like people with incredibly low self-esteem and broken psychologies. Although that's probably redundant. Hmm, but interesting. They figured out how to monetize that. And then they come in with with Warner Brothers, who, as we know, they're flailing in the wind, just trying to throw cash at anything to create a franchise. And their business model is spend little money, make a lot of money. And Warner Brothers strategy is spend a lot of money and lose a lot of money as we've seen right we saw this through the whole Mm -hmm. Snyder Cut phenomenon well they did that they came in and Discovery saw you made this 90 million dollar film and you're going to release it only on HBO Max and then apparently they watched it and they hated it and they canceled the film and of course everybody's mad right and I actually sort of do agree Daniel like obviously I championed the Snyder Cut because I wanted to see it specifically because I knew it would be amazing. I knew it would be good. And it was something that was with my values. But if I believe in the principle of if somebody made art, it should get released. I have to say, hey, let's release this movie. Right? Like, I don't know if I'd ever watch this movie, but do you at least agree with me that these people should get their movie released? Well, well, let me take even a slightly different tack to that. Because whether or not I, I believe it, you know it's neither here nor there no one cares about what i believe justin um it's you it's you and william i'm just here to i'm a seat filler basically um but it couldn't have been that bad and what i mean is like we've seen some pretty horrible movies get released anyway especially like straight to streaming right like no matter how bad they think it is it's not that bad. Have you seen it's not Netflix's as bad. catalog, Warner Brothers Discovery? Right. Some of the, the, the crap that has been released to, to Netflix or Amazon Prime, Hulu, is atrocious. It, it is a war crime in some other eras. Uh, the horror that has been released upon the public that gets consumed and watched and, and people like it for some reason. And by the way, if it is that bad, lean into it. And sell it as a bad superhero film. And people will love it ironically, because that's the dumb era we live in, too. Well, so also, there's I think something with, else going on here. With what you just said, Daniel, with what you just said, um, I think there is even a meta angle they could take with saying it's intentionally bad. Oh, look what the old regime did with Warner Brothers. We're going to release this mm-hmm. so you guys can see what they did. But now that we're in control, we're going to do this better. And you can sort of market it like that. Don't you think that would work, too? Sure. There's all kinds of angles, which is why I think there's something else going on here. I, I, don't, I don't know what it is, but there's something else. But anyway, so this is a, a, some sort of woke atrocity committed on some marginalized group, I'm assuming. <laughs> right. That's where this farce gets extra farcy, right? Because, ooh, that was Farachi, the guy who hated Zack Snyder. I didn't even mean to do that. But that's pretty good. Um, yeah. So that's where this we get the extra farce with this, right? Because this is farcical in itself, corporate takeover, WB mismanaging the, the the portfolio, all of that. But I found an article this week that I was like, could this really 
be the take here? Could this really be the take? So here's the article. And by the way, this typo, if you look at the outline, Daniel, the word canceling is spelled with two L's. That was in the original headline. So Mm. I left it there for posterity's sake. Canceling Batgirl isn't just baffling. And as you said, Daniel, it's baffling because who knows what's going on here, really? Probably the internal politics with the merger. That would be my guess. But canceling Batgirl isn't just baffling. It's a crushing blow to women like me. Was this written by Batgirl? <laughs> that is where this gets super weird and confusing. And no, okay. I think that, um, I don't know how long you've been off the show. Feels like forever, tear down the cheek. But I think people are getting more plain and more barren about just laying it out there and i think the true motives are coming out a little bit more and i don't know if they're getting more desperate or it's just they're more comfortable but i think this article is a great example of showing sort of the psychological issues that underpin this kind of perspective on things so the article has a quote from new ceo david zaslov he explained that he shelved batgirl simply because he didn't think it was very good we're not going to release a movie unless we believe in it he said Adding that the company is focusing on quality. Really? And Batgirl did not live up to that standard. <laughs> no, focusing on quality. You mean like the guy on 90 Day Fiance who was the Mormon who said he was a virgin but wasn't and then tried to marry a girl from Russia. That's the quality you're focusing on, Warner Brothers It's Discovery? not up to that standard, Justin. <laughs> it's, it's not up to a psycho-Mormon fishing drama. <laughs> Oh my god, yeah. So, I mean, that that to me did is is what sounds like a blow. That feels like the blow across the 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 bow of the Warner Brothers people, doesn't it? It's like saying, "Look at the shit you guys did. It's not even as oh, good yeah. as our 90-day fiancé fr- franchise." Right? You got to you got to take that that way cuz I would imagine they can't fire some people legally and they try and push them out at this point. I don't know, that's just Yeah, this is the same company that released Space Jam a new legacy. <laughs> that's a <laughs> No, but see, this la- not up to that standard. Well, this Zaslov guy is the discovery guy, so he would say, "Yeah, oh, I see what you're saying," but that was probably released before Zaslov. So, but yeah, he would probably say that okay. Space Jam and Algae Rhythm, the villain Algae Rhythm. Why was the villain of an algorithm wasted on that movie? We could have had a great <laughs> horror movie or a great movie about an algorithm oh. as a villain, and it's wasted on LeBron James and Space Jam 2. Oh, we'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there, Justin. <laughs> Wouldn't define one that more one. segment to go. I would define that one as a good movie either, but yeah. Okay. We'll get there. So this author is responding to what Zaslov said, and she said, Reading this, I feel like there are bigger, more important questions that need to be asked. Bigger, more important questions, Daniel, than what constitutes... Uh, quality art, according to Discovery, right? According to Warner Brothers Discovery. There are bigger questions here. Are you ready for the bigger question? I can't wait. Will Hollywood ever find value in black and brown women? Now, the question doesn't stop there. You would think, okay, what? all right. I will give you that question, right? It's it's, it's very social justice but you're kind of like, all right, I get where you're coming from. You're like, stop being racist, Hollywood. Although... We know they value black and brown women more than redheads because every time there's a redhead, they replace it with a black and brown woman. So, but the question keeps going. And should we even keep waiting on them to see our inherent worth and brilliance? 
Daniel, what word sticks out to you in this question? Inherent? That's what stuck out to me. Inherent. Inherent. That's what I'm talking about, laying bare all of this stuff. Yeah, this is, um... God, did Ayn Rand write that? Like, is this one of her villains? Like, isn't that the whole James Tagger thing? Like, I don't want to be loved for things I did. I don't want to be loved for actions I've taken. I just want to be loved for who I am. (laughs) My inherent value. And that's how the author continues. The author continues, based upon this idea of her inherent value, she says, while Latines... By the way, when did that become... Did they give up on Latinx and they just... Yes, they've given up on Latinx because people... (laughs) Mocked them relentlessly. So we're on to Latines. I think it's Latines, but okay. (laughs) Well, I hope it's not Latines because, like, that makes me think of latrines, which let's not make that connection. (laughs) I was joking. It's definitely Latines. Isn't Latines just how you refer to teenagers in Spanish? It's the Latines are coming. Latines are coming. Latines. Mm -hmm. Okay. That also sounds like a, a, a... how like a rednecky white person would say Latin people? Oh, the Latines are coming. You get what I'm saying? Like I don't know. Anyway, while Latines make up 18 percent of the population, we only accounted for 4.6 percent of movie roles in 2019. Because that's how we should make movies. We should look at our cast and say, does this accurately represent the distribution of demographics in the population? Within that number, it is difficult to calculate how many of those roles even go to Latino women, particularly Afro-Latinas, and even more so dark-skinned Afro-Latinas who face colorism within the community. Can you imagine that chart? Imagine you're running a a movie production company, Daniel, and you have to make up a chart about accurate representation of demographics in movies and shows. Justin, I, I run a movie production company. Do you do this? Do you have this spreadsheet? And do you have this category? You You know, I haven't gotten my latest laminated version, (laughs) so I'm still referring to last year's version, which is probably out of date. So you have the category of how many of the roles for Latines go to Latina women, and then you have the the category for particularly Afro-Latina women, and then you have the category for dark-skinned Afro-Latina women who face colorism. You have that entire breakdown on your chart. Damn it, I knew I was missing something. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get that far in my crazy. <laughs> and so, how do you no. even how do you even concretize, right? How, how do you even um I'm, I can't think of the proper word. People who face colorism colorism. You know what I mean? How do you make that real? How do you measure it? You get what I'm saying? Right. Anyway, continuing. Yeah. The world of television and entertainment is a mirror of society. Is it? Is it supposed to be? That seems like complex philosophy, right? Complex philosophy for art. Ah, my, my, my mind's blanking right now. What's the philosophical term for studying beauty? Aesthetics. That seems like complex aesthetic philosophy just put in there casually, doesn't it? The world of television entertainment is a mirror of society. Is it? Is it supposed yeah. to be taken that way? Are we supposed to design it that way? Defining beauty standards and influencing our perception of self. That sounds like projection. I oh, know this. Next per- sentence. <laughs> I know this personally. Hey, but that's what I mean. At least she's aware, right? When I was a kid, the underrepresentation of black women in TV and film affected my self-esteem. Now, I will say this, Daniel. 
I do think that this is one of the the greatest points that social justice have. I has I as a white man can never understand turning on a TV and not seeing people who are similar to me race wise, right? And that's the problem with their good point, right? Their best point. But I don't even want to say good point. Okay, right. maybe, but. I mean, I can't imagine it, of course. So that's that is one thing, right? But again, it's it's about how you personally identify. I mean, growing up, I always knew I was Mexican, and specifically, I'm half Mexican and then a quarter Irish and a quarter French Canadian. How many half Mexican, quarter Irish, quarter French Canadians are there on television, Justin? Not enough. Uh, the answer is none. Not yeah, enough. There's none. I've so never you need seen, to be put quote, on TV. That's what I just heard. You just said morally you oh. have to be put on TV. Oh, I like that. Uh, I have never seen me represented on television. And by the way, anyone who even comes close, I've still never seen me represented on television. These people typically don't think like I do. They certainly don't act like I do. And when in the whatever the '90s or the early 2000s, when we weren't so freaking preoccupied with with race and identification, what were the things, like, the most popular shows the white people were watching on TGI Friday? Do you remember? Are you going to bring up Family Matters? Yes. That was my favorite show ever as a child. I waited, like, giddily all week to watch a new episode of that show. It was phenomenal because it was interesting. And you know what was relatable about it? The dysfunction of the family. <laughs> <laughs> not their race. I didn't care about their race. I cared about their actions. I cared about their ideas. I cared about how they treated each other. It's only now that we are hyper-racialized that we start to care about this nonsense quota crap. I do think that there is something about representation, but I, I don't think it's this sort of direct, I didn't see me as a child and therefore I lost some sort of self-esteem. That's bad parenting. Well, right, and that's in my opinion. That's really the response to the whole thing is what you just said is why is it that someone thinks that way? That why is it they would look at TV and say I'm not there and then hate themselves for it? And then she said I often felt that I was ugly and wished to have green eyes or straight hair. I I guess that's mainly what Afro-Latino women were shown as in the 90s. Although I, I can't I guess I don't okay. I don't know, but like so so Midsider Lucid is making a, a very good point. He says his daughter gravitates towards and gets excited over female superheroes, which is interesting, except that, like, my favorite superheroes as a child, one, my first superhero love as a child was Ripley from Alien and Aliens. Like, I thought she that was the also, most badass person in the history of time. That also sets um, up uh, the next segment as well. I want, I'm going to talk about that I was that obsessed point. with Ripley and obsessed with her using the power loader to kick alien ass. Like, that was awesome. In fact, I had, like, a small tear rolled on my face recently when my son accidentally broke my Ripley power loader Funko Pop. Um, also, uh, what's the deal when we're talking about bad parenting? You're watching Alien as a kid? That movie must have came out <laughs> when you were, like, three. Like, Jesus, dude. I was allowed to watch anything I wanted. I, I'm not even kidding. Literally anything I wanted. Um, at any age. I was also reading the Wall Street Journal at like four. So um, I just feel bad because Midsider Lucid has probably had to watch Miss Marvel on Disney Plus, which that <laughs> or She-Hulk. He's got to like be dreading that he's got to oh, watch She-Hulk coming She -Hulk. up. 
Oh, side side note here, lots of tangents, but like, did you see the horrifying advertisement they have done for She-Hulk on Tinder? No. They are paying to match people with a fake She-Hulk profile. And so you get an alert that you've matched, and when you go there, it's an advertisement for She-Hulk. You know what's especially hilarious about that? Do you remember when David Goyer came out and said that he would never do a She-Hulk thing and doesn't think she should be adapted because it's just like a pornographic fantasy for the Hulk? Yeah. That kind of adds to that, doesn't it? Yes. <laughs> oh, my Indeed. God. So freaking weird. And then just to sum up my last point, because I said I had two points, my, my second biggest hero in my life and obsession was Princess Leia. I thought Luke was a pansy in Star Wars. Worst character of the series by far. It was Leia, then Han, then Darth Vader. Like, those were the three badasses of the series. I even thought R2 was more interesting than Luke Skywalker. What did you think of Sindel? Sin- what? Sindel? Whatever, the one who hung out with Wicket. What? The Ewok movie? The little girl? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Oh my god, yes. I did, I did not know her name. What? I knew a Star uh, Wars thing you didn't know? Apparently, it's the Ewok movie, Justin. Uh... The, the more <laughs> rational fans have basically burned that from our memory, along with the holiday special edition. Holy vey. How did we get on Star Wars? Anyway, speaking of wars. Oh, we, we're just going to go past the rest of this story. I am done with this story. I don't know how much there is to say. I've already pissed off everyone. Um. It's just Unless crazy. Wrap it up, but yeah, I'll just wrap it up. It's just crazy. If she ends it with saying, "Filming a movie that pushed back on this narrative and then canceling it feels deliberate, like a slap in the face." And when I say uh, laid bare, Daniel, that's exactly what I'm talking about. I think we're finally seeing people directly saying how they see these things. You know, where the idea of microaggression comes from, or where interpersonal hostility comes from. You know, Adam Crow always talks about not personalizing things. Well, this is an example of somebody personalizing something that's not personal at all. Author of this article, they don't know who you are. This has nothing to do with you. This is some internal political battle between Warner Brothers and Discovery and the merger. And we know how, you know, fucked up things have been with WB for a long time now. Why do you make it about you? Well, they're showing you why they're making it about you nowadays. And I think it's important we start paying attention to this. Yep, it's personalization plus this whole my truth sort of nonsense, because it's a personalization of incredibly intimate personal feelings and and taking that as like an objective truth. Yeah. Because I feel this way, therefore it is true. Yeah. No, your feelings are wrong. The end. (laughs) And it would be hilarious if this woman watched this movie and then realized how terrible it was. Because do you really want to That's why they should release it. They should release it now after the controversy so people can watch it and go, oh, got it. Yeah, this sucks. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, you watch it and you're like, I want to be represented, but not by that. Like, <laughs> that's not good enough representation. Well, when we're talking about, like you said, wars, or we're talking about people who can't control how they're represented, Donald Trump. And I don't say oh, that to defend boy. the man, but this fucking week, Daniel, I know I'm swearing a lot in this episode, but this farce this week... Like I don't I'm hoping you can help bring me some clarity on all of this. Okay? <laughs> okay. So I found an article that I think 
from my perspective, sums things up because I really have no idea what's going on. And even this morning when I woke up, I think there's new stuff coming out about this. So I don't even mm-hmm. know. It says FBI searched Trump's home for classified material about nuclear weapons. This is an MSN article. Actually, you sent this article to me. So thank you. Yeah. Uh, Citing sources described as familiar with the investigation, the Washington Post reported that government officials were deeply concerned about the nuclear documents believed to be stored at Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence could fall into the wrong hands. So this article is reporting on what the Washington Post said. So this is an article about a report, which that's very much 2022. And then the next paragraph, separately, the New York Times reported the documents were related to some of the most highly classified U.S. programs and that officials feared they were vulnerable to theft or other removal from Trump's home by foreign adversaries. Like, I'm just picturing a movie right now, Daniel, where, like, they go to, like, foreign agents go to former president's houses and break in to try and steal stuff. Earlier Thursday... Yeah, like if they had a private server in their basement and were trying to destroy cell phones and wipe hard drives. I saw somebody said that. It was a tweet. It was like, breaking news. And they said exactly what you just said. And they were like, oh, no, wait, Mm -hmm. that was Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Earlier Thursday, U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland said the Justice Department is seeking to unseal the search warrant served against Trump in the pursuit of transparency against conspiracy theories and backlash from Republican politicians. And then Trump said in a message on his true social web media site, Trump said Thursday night, he will not oppose the release. He will not oppose. This is a terribly written article. He will not be opposed to the release and that he supports the immediate release of these documents. That, that enti- I didn't, until right now, I didn't realize how terrible that entire sentence was from the article. Who edited that? Nobody is the answer. Nobody. Correct. So there's also another article here. Um, I'm not going to go into the details of it. I think the headline is enough. But the claim by Trump's side is that he declassified the documents, and that's why it's okay for him to bring them, because obviously the president can declassify whatever he wants, right? Because he's supposedly the highest power of the executive branch. Now, Daniel, this is my question about this whole thing. I'm having a hard time understanding it. Because it seems to push me into a corner. I either have to accept that Trump is the most evil president ever or that the system is completely and utterly evil and the left has gone completely insane. And neither of those positions is one that I want to take because it's very extreme, especially if I accept that Trump is evil. Doesn't that set up this idea that the system is very, very broken because he was able to be elected president? So we have to change the whole system, which then makes me want to believe the left is insane and evil because it seems like that's what they're trying to do. Well, it's it's a false dichotomy, bro, in the sense that both could be true or neither could be true. Um, and, but here's the problem. I think I think both are true to some degree. And what I mean is that there there is still a group of people, and I, I count myself among them emotionally, although intellectually I'm I'm definitely not there. That that still believe that there is this sort of fundamental 
action of government that is noble, especially by nonpartisan institutions, quote unquote, like the FBI or the CDC. You even see this in libertarian circles or objectivist circles who think, no, these is, this is just a group of people who are really trying to do their best and I disagree with them. And, you know, even though they're violating rights, they're genuine, upstanding, wonderful, great human beings, and we should have some sort of reverence for the systems of government. Do these same people still believe that the New York Jets organization actually has some idea of what they're doing when signing and picking players? <laughs> you know, I have noticed they're usually Jets fans. So, <laughs> um, No, I have no idea. And like I said, emotionally, I'm still kind of there because I, I long for that. And maybe... I've watched the West Wing too many times, <laughs> but I do long for a government that even if we disagree with each other, we are still sort of acting in good faith. I I think at least right now, we are pretty well past that. I would not trust any branch of the federal government to really be acting in good faith. I am actually now going to assume, unless proven otherwise, they are acting politically. Otherwise, there's just, and it's not a question about hypocrisy. There's just all these questions about um, things like, well, yes, Trump may need to be investigated, and he probably has committed some illegal act. Literally every modern president has. So where are the investigations? Why is Trump first? Why is it happening under Biden's watch, the guy who said he was going to bring civility and order and normalcy back to government, when this is literally the first time in history this has happened? Wait, wait, wait. Biden Trump said, is so... Biden said civility? I thought he said senility. <laughs> ah, ah, I see what you did there. No one really knows what he said. It's it, <laughs> We're just getting this from the press release after the fact that clarified what the president said. Right. And you're also saying um, Biden... Um, was watching all of this. Uh, that's assuming Biden's actually the one doing these things. Well, yes, there's there's everything there. I'll just say the administration, yes, the current administration, which whose entire campaign was uh, premised upon return to normalcy, return to civility, bringing things back from the way it was done under Trump, when this has been one of the most political, vengeful administrations we've ever seen in history. But I would expect that. And the reason I would expect that is because it has always gone that direction. Every administration that comes in ramps up the political nature of the branches of government. It ramps up how it uses the government to attack its enemies. It ramps up the integration of its ideology into every single action that it takes. So yes, of course, I think this is politically motivated. And... <laughs> and I think Trump is among the worst presidents we've ever had and has probably done many illegal things, probably did many illegal things while he was in office and couldn't be prosecuted for them, and has likely done many illegal things since then. The problem with all this is that it's it's in this infrastructure of, okay, but still the laws that they're enacting, the laws that they're trying to use against him are pretty unobjective laws. Right now, the number one thing that they're trying to nail him on is something called the Espionage Act. And if you look up, look up the Espionage Act, you will click, quickly realize that it is 
it, it was written in that era that was like the Sherman antitrust laws, like the same time frame, like the uh, early or late teens, early 20s. I think it was like 1917. Yeah, the Sherman antitrust where, law is one of the worst laws in American history. Yeah. Yes, especially because of the way it's written, right? And the way it's written basically allows you, allows the government to essentially do whatever it wants, whenever it wants. And that is essentially how the Espionage Act is written. Um, I pulled up the phraseology here. Uh, it makes it illegal for anyone, anyone who has information related to national defense to use it, quote, to the injury of the United States or, quote, to the advantage of any foreign nation. Who gets to decide <laughs> if someone's information related to national defense injures the United States, Justin? H how is that objectively measurable in any conceivable way? Well, I think this goes back to what you were saying about people believing the federal government is necessarily a good actor. They're necessarily right. acting benevolently. And this comes back to a question that I struggle with. And I'm struggling with right now, and I think it's the fundamental question about government and about the legitimacy of government. And it's the idea that can government act as a neutral arbiter? And the people who think government is being benevolent, federal government is being benevolent, are saying yes. But we I just had, sorry, but and I'll let you finish, but we just had the largest test case of that in our lifetimes during COVID with the CDC. Well, right. And, and I mean, both was... administrations, a Republican administration and a Democrat one, the CDC did not act in good faith and did not act, quote, according to the expert science. It was politically acting the entire time. No matter what you think about its recommendations, they were not grounded in good science. They were grounded in politics, period. Well, funny enough, you say that because I was going to make a joke based upon something Midsider Lucid said in the Discord where he shared a tweet by Ian's, Ian's Michael Chong, where he said the Fauci effect is when you become a megalomaniacal narcissist. But I think what you're saying yes. is the real Fauci effect. Like if we were going to be historians and we were going to write a doctoral thesis on it, I think we could call it the Fauci effect and it would be all about what you just said, about acting politically yeah. rather than as a neutral arbiter. Totally. But, and that it, is what they are there for. Right. And that's my thing. And that's, this is the thing I struggle with. And this is the thing that I think is really important. It's the essential question is, is it even possible based upon government's design for it to act as a neutral arbiter? It seems like well, it will necessarily always act politically. And then if that's true, is there any legitimate case to ever have a government? Because you would, if that's true, if government can only act politically, and when I say act politically, essentially what I'm saying is, can they only ever take from the ones with the most and give to the people with the least in order to create some sort of safety net in society? Because that's what government would always be doing in that case. So if they're always acting politically, are there any ironclad rules we can create that doesn't have enough wiggle room for government to grow exponentially? Or is government always going to be a slippery slope where it goes from, hey, we have a small government to, holy shit, our government's too big. Which founder do you want me to quote? Um, you could go the Jefferson route. He wanted to rewrite the Constitution every 19 years, 29 years, something like that, because he essentially thought that government would just be out of control in a very short period of time, and you don't want the old hand of the dead governing the hand of the, the lives of the living. So, and he also said the tree of liberty needs to be watered with blood now and again. 
Uh, he could have gone with pruned, guy. but he went with watered with blood. <laughs> yes. He could have indeed. said the tree of liberty could be pruned like a Japanese bonsai tree, <laughs> but instead he said watered with blood. That is the most American thing I've ever heard. Watered with blood. But I think the one there, – there's two founders who sort of sum up the view here, which is – so in uh, Federalist Paper 51, I think it was Madison who wrote that one, said that if, if men were angels, no government would be necessary. But the corollary to that, which he wrote about extensively, was that if government were angels, no separation of powers would be necessary. So their solution to this was a hardline separation of powers – under the theory that it is power that these people are after, and therefore ambition would check ambition, meaning each branch would try to yield its power over the other branches, and in doing so, they would sort of never gain control. Now, we've seen that that's not true in the long run. Well, it seems like, Daniel, to me, I mean, not to act like I'm smarter than the Founding Fathers, but... It seems like there had to have been a dude in the corner of the room being like, but what if somebody takes over all three? Yeah, that, those would be the anti-federalists. Okay. We're say. basically just going, none of this is going to work. Yeah. You people are morons. <laughs> um, it's like, yeah, I get, I, get, I get what you're going for, but like, what if they take over all three? That's not going to happen. Uh, yeah, yeah, but what if it yeah. does? Yeah, no one, everyone knows about the Federalist Papers. No one has read the Anti-Federalist Papers, which are a real thing written under the pen name Brutus. Um, who basically was like, you guys are dipshits. None of this is going to work. It's going to get out of control so fast. We don't need a central government, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I think it was Adams who basically sums up my feelings on all of this, which is like, you're right, Justin. There is no way we could write something. Wait, wait, wait. I can quote legit- John Adams. He said, you're right, Justin. I can quote that. <laughs> it's amazing. His foresight into uh into your life in the future yeah he there's nothing you no government you construct no constitution you can write no law you can devise no statute no court case that will ultimately keep the government in check he said that the constitution of the united states is suited for a moral and religious people and wholly unsuited for any other and take away the religious part i don't you know whatever or don't the point is if the people don't believe in these things, if the people don't keep the government in check, if they allow it and want to go through with it, there's literally nothing you can do. It's just paper. Well, right. And I think that's the difference between contemporary culture and, say, 50, 75 years ago, the mid-1900s, right, where many of these laws that are being used, such as the Espionage Act, which you said, you named that, existed. And they weren't being used in this way. I think the difference is the the fundamental lack of morality in this country, or another way to say that is the, the fundamental subjectivism or relativism in this country, which is what enables many of these things. Which is partially because of the intersectionality and the rise of the everything is political culture. We want to hurt our enemies because everything is political. Therefore, we want to use, we want the arms of government to be used as cudgels against those who we disagree with, against those who with which we disagree. Bad speaker, bad public speaker. Did you really just correct yourself because you ended your sentence with a preposition? It's, I'd said the word with and then ended the sentence with with. Oh, okay. And so it, it really bothered me. Okay. Alas. Yeah. You missed this. 
Yeah. Although I didn't miss like this <laughs> this heavy weighted feeling I have right now because it's sort of like the you're saying then the proposed answer is to have a system of government but to have the people be moral enough for that system to be under control. That would basically be There's, what John Adams said. Yes. And I agree with him. There's no other way. Like you, it doesn't matter Anarchy? how you design it. There's no, it's not anarchy. It's just simply. No, I'm saying anarchy people, is not a better way. Because l- l- listen to my argument. Listen to my argument back. Right. Oh this, God. Okay. Uh, uh, again, I am undecided on this. I'm just thinking about this. Okay. This is just me spitballing. All right. I'm not advocating anarchy. Nobody listen to this and be like, he's advocating anarchy. This is the point I'm making. Right. I think one of the greatest problems right now is the the growth in population size. If you look at the way the population has grown since the late 1900s, it has grown at an insane amount. And that is people coming in, and that is birth rates. And one of the things about when this country was founded, it was such a small population that it was possible to have everyone be educated and to have everyone have some sort of morality or moral spirit. My question is, with the human race as a whole, especially with 7 billion people on the planet, is it possible to have that? And if it's not possible to have that, isn't it then preferable to have anarchy rather than giving a giant weapon, a.k.a. the federal government, to all of the people who lack morality? That's my thought process. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I I think, again, it's a false dichotomy, bro, because you could just have smaller governments, which I think is the point. Um, Well, right, which is something I've said, right? You must remember that on the show where I say everything should be local, right? Yeah, and that's the point of federalism. It's supposed to be dual sovereignty, two sovereigns, a sovereign federal government and sovereign state governments. But even on the federal government, look, I'm not an Article One expert, so I'm going to say a lot of things, but they're going to be detached from the facts. <laughs> you need to explain what Article 1 is. <laughs> Article 1 of the Constitution, which establishes what Congress is. Okay. Um, I'm not an Article 1 expert, but at the time of the founding, representation in the House of Representatives was one for every 30,000. And it was supposed to go up, like it was supposed to keep going that way. And by those numbers, we would have thousands of representatives in the House of Representatives who would actually know their local constituents and lobby for them. And by the way, it would be um, horrifically difficult to get shit done. Right, because it would look like the was Star Wars. the point. To set it in Star Wars, right? Where there's so many fucking people <laughs> and when something happens, like they all start yelling and shit. That's what you're talking That's about. That's right. right. But that was the point. Yeah. The point of the federal government was to only do the things that we essentially had consensus on as a country. It was never intended to be the place where we did things where barely 50% agreed. Or in many cases, especially when there's Republican representation, when a minority of the country wants it, even if there's a majority Republican um, government. That was not the point of the federal government. Only those high-level things. And so we're woefully upper re- unrepresented. And by the way, that was just suspended by some act of Congress at, in the, I don't know, let's call it the 50s, but I don't really know. Well, also, it was just suspended like, oh, well, we can't fit any more people in the House, so uh, we're just going to stop going by 
proportion, and we're just going to pick a 538 is total you can have in all of Congress, 100 senators, 435 representatives. We're done. Isn't Ludicrous. 538 the name of that website, the sports website? That's why it's named that. Oh, is well, it? It's, no, it's not a sports website. It's a, a politics website. But yeah, that's why it's named that. Well, I never knew that's why it was named 538. I learned something today. But also with the representation uh, conversation, I, that's what I'm going to say at the end of the episode, by the way, with what I learned. Uh, but <laughs> um, with the representation conversation, something I love to point out, Daniel, about mm-hmm. something we changed about representation in the mid-1900s. Do you remember what else we changed about representation in the mid-1900s? How we elect senators? How we elect them for full-time jobs. It, oh, 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 yeah. It never used uh, to lots be a of things were changed. Job. It never used but that's a big deal. When it becomes yes. your full-time job to become a politician rather than, hey, I represent the people and I'm going to go back to my normal life. That's a big deal. If you couple that with the things you're saying, that increases the power and the importance of government exponentially. Yes, look, every change we've made has been toward um, this sort of oligarchic, weird view of government and away from actually truly representative Republican government. Not the least of which, again, I just alluded to it, was we used to not elect senators. What? Are people's minds being blown right now? How do we get senators then? Senators were chosen by the state legislatures. Why? Because the House of Representatives was the people's representation, and the Senate was the state's representation. And the state legislators appointed a senator for six years and then could decide not to appoint them again if they weren't representing the state interest. Now I really want to see senators and congressmen fight to the death because it's like the people's (laughs) representative fighting the state's representative. And that's awesome. (laughs) And uh, yeah, then we went to direct a direct election of senators, which is ludicrous. But anyway, I could literally talk about this for forever, but we got to move the show along, Justin. People are clamoring for the artistic stuff. Are they? We don't want to talk about how bad Trump is anymore. (laughs) I feel like that's been covered. (laughs) Yeah. The important (laughs) thing here is when you see this and you get confused like I do, we, you know, we talked about a lot of esoteric stuff and a lot of important stuff. And if you want to dig this deep, it's good and I encourage it. But if you don't want to dig this deep, just remember that this is not just about Trump. And it's never been just about Trump, and it will never be about any single president or single politician. Everything we're seeing nowadays is the result of complex systems in action and choices that were made years ago. Years ago, and the question is just, where do we go from here and how do we make it better? And one of the ways we make it better is, like Daniel just said, it's through our art, although perhaps... None of the art we talk about this week will be part of that, but that's part of the process is talking about the good and talking about the bad. As always, if you'd like to join the conversation with us during the week, you can do so by joining our Discord channel. If you go to the midside.com or the midside.com 
slash podcast. Click on any episode link. And in that episode link, there is a link for joining our Discord. Hop in there. You can share some farce with us and we'll include it on the show. That's where we're getting a lot of this uh, anti-Fauci stuff from. Midsider Lucid, as he says, likes to go after the low-hanging farce of Anthony Fauci. Although it is very enjoyable and delicious low-hanging farce, so we appreciate that. Also, if you want to participate in Trailer Takedown, I usually post the trailers on Saturdays. And when I do, you can go in there and you can share your thoughts on the trailers. And then, uh, you know, I'll read some of it when we do Trailer Takedown. But first, I want to do my weekly review. Daniel, besides looking at the outline, do you know what movie I saw this week and why? Did you see... Lightyear. I saw that light years ago. <laughs> I just watched it. It's an atrocity. It's an atrocity? Um, what? I hated it. <clears throat> why did I you hate it. Lightyear? I was boring. That's why I hated it. I knew you'd like it because it has time travel. The moment I was watching it, I was like, oh, it's a time travel movie. Justin's going to love this movie. Yeah, that's one of my best movies of the year. That is a classic sci-fi movie. I'm sure it was fine in terms of like like, I, none of the woke things bothered me. Like, that was all blown out of proportion. Yeah. I, I mostly was just bored out of my mind. And it was so boring that my son didn't finish it. Yeah, I don't my think it's particularly a kid's movie. I don't think it's particularly a Pixar kid's movie. Like, it, it seemed... Honestly, it seemed just like a, a classic sci-fi movie, movie just done animated rather than live action. And if you saw that movie yeah, live I got, action... I, also, I got to the twist and I was like, I'm, I'm done. I don't need to know anymore. I got it. <laughs> understood moving on yeah yeah see anyway so that's not what you saw apparently i'm i'm behind i'm a i'm a dad i don't see movies anymore you just wanted to rant on lightyear i did (laughs) okay well i saw easter sunday easter sunday now can you tell the audience why i saw that movie (laughs) you don't know what it is we were married to yes (laughs) because uh filipino Right, it's a Filipino movie starring Joe Coy. Joe Coy is a Filipino yes. uh, comedian who got a big boost from working with Adam Carolla. And, That's you know, the only reason I know what this movie is. And he's very, very uh, successful on the, the comedy circuit. And he's obviously revered in the Filipino community the same way uh, Manny Pacquiao is. And that actually plays into the movie. There's some Manny Pacquiao content in the movie. Not Manny Pacquiao himself, but Manny Pacquiao content. And this is sort of in the same vein of, you know, all those movies where they're like, let's take somebody who represents his culture and make a movie about it. Now, that probably gives you some sort of a beat on the co- the quality of the movie, right, Daniel? Yeah, I, I assume. <laughs> yeah. Now, the, assume. the first thing is I would be mad about if I were Filipino and I went into there and I saw how all the trailers were like for, here's the stereotypical black people movies. You know what I'm talking about, Daniel, where you see those trailers and it's like all the like, mm-hmm. this is a movie that's not really about anything except some black people interacting. Or here's a movie about a black family. And you're like, what, what, what's the plot of this movie? They're black. And you're like, three black is... men lean to the left and just go, damn. Yeah. And you're In like, every trailer. Yeah. And you're like, this is kind of racist. Like the Friday movie yep. where they all lean to the left and said, damn, like that was a real movie. There was a point to it. But these movies are kind of like, they're black. And that was what uh, the trailers were. They were all those type of movies. Then there was also the Avatar trailer, which is 
I don't know, you haven't been in the movies. They show the fucking Avatar trailer before every fucking movie. I do not want to see Avatar. Stop making me try and see it. And the, do you know how, have you, have you seen that trailer, the new Avatar trailer, Daniel? I've seen only bits and pieces, and when it's online, I just walk away from my computer and come back. It literally ends with, like, no matter what happens, we're family. And it's like, oh, that's where you're going. So you're going from humans evil, oh, going the, uh, tribalism, to family. thought they were going the Fast and Furious route. <laughs> oh, no, no, that's, uh, that's the new Shazam, but that's a different thing. Oh, okay. So they did the same thing with Filipinos with Easter Sunday, except they were okay doing it because that's Joe Coy's whole bit, right? Like, Joe Coy, like, if you've ever been around Filipinos, Joe Coy is actually very, very funny if you know what he's talking about. And there were actually several times in the theater where... Uh, I and my wife were the only ones laughing because she was the only Filipino person in the theater. There were about 15 to 20 people there, uh, some minorities, some white people. But, like, we were the only people laughing sometimes, which tells you who the target audience is. But you've missed, Daniel. I usually do—I have Letterboxd now as a way of keeping track and ranking all the movies for the year. Ah, because yes, I, I needed a place to keep track of all of these thoughts— because I'm not going to remember all of it. And when people ask me, it's a lot easier just to affirm to that rather than try and remember. But I resisted Letterboxd because it seems like the pretentious thing people on Twitter who call themselves cinephiles use. So I didn't want to use it. But then I actually looked at it. I was like, oh, this is pretty good. So here's my one-sentence review of Easter Sunday on Letterboxd. Despite some poor acting and uncreative directing, Easter Sunday's climax contains some genuine catharsis. And, you know, my wife said afterwards that uh, Joe Coy should stick to stand-up comedy. Uh, And I think that sort of her analysis there really points to what I'm saying about the catharsis. Joe Coy can't act, okay? He, this is the weirdest review ever of someone's acting, but he came across like a gay Dane Cook in the movie. It was very strange. But when you get to the end and it's actually Easter Sunday and it's the dinner and sort of the conflicts are resolved, you actually cared. Because I think Joe Coy and the people he worked with were actually trying to represent something real. They were actually trying to reflect reality, not in the mirror sense, but in the heightened sense, in the old traditional, you know, quasi-romantic way, where they're, they're taking something about Filipino culture and trying to emphasize it and make a point about it. And so the catharsis works, even though there's, you know, a lot of poorly made, poorly made things along the way, poor decisions along the way. So ultimately, I wouldn't recommend this movie. You know, I would give this, a, a you know, the, the second lowest rating. You know, this isn't the just know this is a, a no bro because I just think there are, are better movies that have been made this year uh, this is in the lower tier of the movies that have been made this year I also think if you don't really know Filipino culture you're not going to get the same level of enjoyment out of it that I did you know the woman who played his mother in the movie like the way she acted the character like the characterization of her and her accent was exactly like one of Christine's, my wife's aunts. And I got an extra level of enjoyment out of that because it was funny to me because it's like I'm looking at him literally making fun of, Joe Coy making fun of, 
and making a point about something I've literally experienced. So I don't know if you anyone else would get that sort of um, experience out of it and that enjoyment out of it. So that's why it's a just no. You know, you're not going to, like, hate yourself and think it's the worst movie ever, but you're going to be like, this movie really got a wide release. This movie really got a theatrical release. And I think that's the true victory here, Daniel. Isn't it kind of a big deal that Joe Coy somehow got this movie into theaters for multiple weeks for a wide release? If it's going to make money, then uh, it's something the uh, studio can, quote, believe in, right? Because even if it's not good, they can believe in the cash. Well, right, and that's what I'm saying is that's what I think the biggest positive that can be said about this movie is, is Joe Coy was able to either A, convince them of that, or B, actually do that. And I think that that should yeah. say something to people. Yeah. Cool. I mean, how many people well, in America actually know who, Fili- what, who Filipinos are? You know what I mean? Outside of California and outside of San Francisco and L.A., how many people know who Filipinos are? Do you think most Americans do? I don't think most Americans do. I will say that... Um, I, I was an exception, despite the fact that I grew up in the middle of literally nowhere in a town of 250 people, because our neighbors directly across the street were half Filipino. Yeah. Dad was white and the mom was Filipino. So maybe you should call them up and ask them what they thought of Easter Sunday. I'm sure they saw it. They're, they're big into the culture, so. Yeah. All right, let's move forward. That was a movie that came out. Let's talk about some movies that are going to be coming out in Trailer Takedown. Like I said, I post the trailers in the Discord on Saturdays. That way you can go in there and maybe you you know, watch all of them and then listen to us. Or you listen to us and watch all of them. Or you know, do what we like. We like when you watch them and leave some comments in there. Trailer Takedown. First trailer. The menu... Is an interesting movie. I can't really think of a specific genre to to fit it in. I think there are many genres that this is. Uh, it stars, I believe her name is Anna Taylor-Joy. Is that the correct way of saying her name, Daniel? The, uh, the Queen's Gambit lady. I know her from um, Split, if you remember. I didn't see it, but yeah. Okay, yeah. Stars her, and... It starts out really sort of like, I don't want to see this. Because it, it starts out really like, oh, here's, you know, a five-star chef, and he's creating this pretentious dining experience. But then it sort of becomes meta in this interesting way where it's like the dining experience tells a story, and you're never going to know the point of the story until the end of the meal, which to me is like you're not going to know the point of what's going on until the end of the movie. And then it becomes some sort of weird conspiracy thing. And with how good this cast is and how interesting that was to me, that's where they hooked me. Now, a couple of comments here from Midsiders. Um, Midsider Fositude said it has a really good cast, so that aspect definitely intrigues him. Uh, But he says that this plot's kind of overdone. And then Midsider Patrick agreed about the uh, human hunting in the forest has been done before. I think I missed that part of the trailer. Daniel, the human hunting in the forest. And I saw that movie. I forget what the movie was called that Lindelof co-wrote. But I don't know. This, I would see this. This, this intrigues me. Hug. Mm, hug. Yeah, the cast. Uh, Rafe Fiennes, um, John Leguizamo, Anya Taylor-Joy, Nicholas Holt, 
it goes on and on. It's it's really quite an incredible cast. And yeah, you, there was a scene where they were like, you get a 45 second head start and then one guy ran really early. I don't anyway. Oh, I remember uh, that, but I didn't get the idea of hunting in the forest, but okay. Yeah, I guess they were hunting them in the forest. I don't know. But it is an interesting concept about how, well, it could be very meta about movie making, which it probably is because every movie is about movie making. But Nolan did it once also, with uh, um, Inception and um, The Prestige, and now or I guess he did it twice. And now everybody wants to do it all the time. Yeah, indeed. But even if it's just about like this whole longing for the experience kind of thing, like even just this idea of it's not good enough to have an incredible meal. We now have to have an experience around the meal. Ooh, that's your sweet like how, spot. You hate that. How burnt out is our pleasure center? Like that we just can't have a good fucking meal and enjoy it and that be enough. No, we have to have the experience and we have to put it on Instagram and da 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 da. da. And that's my sweet spot. Right? <laughs> Where it's it's not only what you just said, but it's we also have to document it for everyone. It can't just be like, that's hey, right. I had this experience that I'm not gonna fucking tell anyone about. That's right. So it is very interesting from that standpoint. And gosh, Ray Fiennes is just ridiculous. Just ridiculous. So I think for me, since uh, if I'm going to be totally honest, I won't see it. So I won't lie to you. But if it comes on like Netflix or something, well, I could Netflix and hug. Netflix and hug. Second trailer. The Good House stars Sigourney Weaver. And I think the best way for me to describe this is my thoughts while watching this trailer. So I'm watching this trailer about, you know, this Massachusetts woman who is a realtor and she gets divorced and like she lives on the North Shore. And I'm thinking to myself, these people should be a lot richer and a lot less identifiable or you know what I mean by identifiable? Like people who watch can identify with this. If these people actually existed, they wouldn't be the type of people who are being shown in this movie. They seem too normal. They seem too just well adjusted. They're not disconnected from everyone else. Where are their accents? Well, that, yeah, I said that too, but I let that go. Right? It's like, <laughs> dude, it's like fifty percent. You're either going to um, what? What's the movie with the uh, where they all die? That won the Oscar with Leonardo <laughs> DiCaprio. Set in Boston. <laughs> Titanic? No. It's not set in Boston. The Departed. I know, but right? it's the movie where they all die. Okay. <laughs> you hit two of the criteria. Yeah. So you're either going to get, when there's a movie set in Massachusetts or north of Boston, you're either going to get no accents at all, or you're going to get The Departed, where everybody's got the thickest fucking Boston accent in the entire world. Right? There's no in-between with a Boston movie. And this went in that direction. But that's part of it. Den, this was all so desensitized. All of these characters and everyone weren't what they actually were. So it got to the point that I was like, all right, this has to be based on a book. And then it said, based on the novel. <laughs> and it becomes about Sigourney Weaver's character, I'm assuming, falling in love with this other character. And it's then that I realized this movie is based on these novels that are so popular nowadays that this is the main thing that is being sold as a book now because it's it's women reading these sort of quasi-fantasy, quasi-romance novels where they're not really romance novels. They're masquerading as something 
more sort of elevated, but they're not really more ele- elevated because they're just something that someone turns out very quickly in order to just have someone read this because they want to fantasize with it. And to me, I mean, that shows everything uh, you need to know about this movie. Uh, some thoughts here from Midsiders. Um, Midsider Patrick said, it seems like a mixed bag. He likes their attitudes, the the characters, but it seems like it could be a facade for her, so it could be a trap. Now, and that's exactly the point with what Patrick's saying. With the way she's acting, if this was serious material that was actually looking into this type of person, it would all be a facade. But instead, it's sort of like they give them this benevolence because it's like a quasi-Hallmark movie, right? Where with a Hallmark movie, everyone has these attitudes and they actually are these sort of good people. But this is sort of like pretending you can be a good person and have these sort of fucked up lifestyles. That's sort of the fantasy they're selling in these type of novels. So for me, this is a, a hard tackle. Tackle. Hallmark movie pretty much summed up how I felt about it. I was a bit in, I mean, again, talk about a cast, Sigourney Weaver, Kevin Klein, David Rash, Morena, Harvey's heir, last name, Bakarin. Beverly D'Angelo, um, really interesting cast. And but the problem, <laughs> I'll just take a, a stupid take since you took the the only good take on this film. So my stupid take is I was watching this and I was like, well, why is it called the Good House? What what the what's where's the title come from? And so then I googled, and it's because the character's name is Hildy Good. And so then I was automatically out. I can't do any movie or book where they just take the person's last name and just make it into the thing. Well, because what does that have to do there with the house? Already, I was just, I was going to say, because okay. one show did it perfectly. Oh. And every other show has done it crappily since then, and that was House. No, no, but I was going to um, say. Um, but it's not like the, but the difference is that is just his name. This show is just called Good. <laughs> That'd be interesting, but they weren't like, you know, the doctors in the house. Then I would have to vomit and kill myself. House call to watch that show, right? House call, something like that. I would want to kill myself. But I'm saying but, with this movie, you're missing my point. I get so she's Gildy Good or whatever her name is, which again, Gildy the, Good. These, these yes. are the type of the uh, Gildy Good sounds like the Wicked or the Witch of the East. Hildy, Hildy Good, whatever. What does the house have to do with it? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And by the way, just to defend know. House for a second, the reason that show's called House is because it's based on Sherlock Holmes. So rather than calling it Holmes, they called it House. Yeah, which is great. It's awesome. I'm almost through again. Almost watched the whole thing. Um, and the latest tackle. seasons are not shit, right? They're good. They're not. I was surprised. I, I thought like, oh, I'm going to go back and they're going to be terrible. They're amazing. Yes. Tackle. Tackle. Final trailer. Margot is a horror movie where a group of teenagers stay in an Airbnb. I assume it's an Airbnb. That's a smart house. And they all register for it. And then the smart house starts getting a little too smart and starts trying to kill them. Uh, There were a couple minor interesting things about this movie, uh, about this trailer. The entire house is a 3D printer. That's kind of cool. I mean, I guess that's just a way to make it so it's easy for the house to kill people. But, I mean, that's a sort of inventive premise. And then I don't know if you noticed, Daniel, but the kids all had to accept a user agreement 
before going to the house, and one of them declined it. So that oh, creates some uh, intrigue. Now I'm assuming, I'm assuming that's for one reason. I'm assuming it's because horror movies have decided, based upon Alien, that it always has to be a woman who survives everything. That's super sexist because the point of Alien was it had to do with um, motherhood, right? And that's why it was a woman surviving. It wasn't just because we're going to make it so women can survive in horror movies better because women are better at surviving than men, which is what it's become. I assume that's going to be, you know, she was smart enough not to give her information over to the smart house so it couldn't kill her. Although I'm kind of hoping maybe it's not actually like the AI that's killing people. That other teenager or whatever that age of these college kids, teenagers, I'm hoping she's the one controlling everything and is trying to, to kill her friends. That would be kind of a, a cool twist for the movie. Um, let's see. Both of the, the Midsiders who responded here, Midsider Fazit 2, talked about it's seemingly overdone, technology gone wrong, technology fights back, and he's tackling it for that reason. And Midsider Patrick is very similar. He's saying uh, the uh, for Margot, it's he has little interest in AI as the antagonist, especially an AI that's irrational. He, he says, who develops an AI and it gives it ability to interact dangerously with humans? I mean, I think the idea is it becomes sentient and then decides it wants to kill humans because who wouldn't want to kill humans, right? And I think that's really what's under this is it has sort of that interpersonal hostility baked into it. Although, and he also says... Uh, Exhaustive quality assurance would be an automatic project requirement for a walk-in 3D printer, which is pretty funny. Um, I'm going to be a little more forgiving of this just because it kind of hits, you know, type of movies I'll watch when there's nothing going on. This for me, uh, I would watch this again sort of while being on my phone with nothing else on. uh, If there's nothing else on, just sort of as a way to have something on because I'm curious how they execute it. But it's not because I think it's going to be particularly good. Netflix and hug. Netflix and hug. This looks like total trash. Not going to lie. The acting was an atrocity. The writing was an atrocity. Um, I, I do. I think there is. No, let me start that sentence over. I think there are a lot of interesting angles to AI gone wrong that no one has touched on yet. Mostly having to do with the government and surveillance and even like social credit score like that was mashing done, up something the social credit that score was, was done in an episode of black mirror very excellently with bryce dallas howard oh well perfect there you go um i think those kind of things you know smart technology meets uh horrifying government stuff i think is still woefully under appreciated and, and underdone because that is who's going to make it a horror show for us if it happens um, but this sort of thing where it's, uh, I, this just looks cheesy and trashy. I mean, it doesn't even have the sort of like, um, over the top edginess to it. Like, um, what was that? The babysitter movie that Netflix did about the, the killer satanic babysitter, which was sort of jokingly looking at itself as a horror movie. Didn't I they do two of those? Well. If they did, I didn't definitely didn't see the sequel. One was enough. And it was fine. Good, even. But this doesn't have that 
it seems to take itself a bit too seriously and the whole three whole house is a 3d printer thing there are a million questions in my head about how the heck that works um but anyway it 3d printed hard. itself into existence <laughs> it's 3d it printers all the way down <laughs> oh god damn it justin stealing my jokes <laughs> okay hard tackle tackle all right, Daniel, that brings us to the end of the episode. What did you learn oh, this trip? Already? Already. Oh, I was having so much fun. Well, I, I learned that Batgirl is nowhere near up to the standards of a naked and afraid XL Frozen. So it clearly couldn't be put out by Discovery people. What did you learn this trip? Does Naked and Afraid XL Frozen, is that about Anna and Elsa? It would be better if it was, I suspect. <laughs> uh, I learned that the website 538 is named after the number of representatives, and I feel like I should have known that. <laughs> right, you want to do some shilling for old time's sake? Shilling? Kurt Schilling? Thanks, everyone, for... Uh joining us here on the midside this trip thank you for listening we couldn't do this without you being the listeners and telling a friend about the show telling a friend is the number one way that your friends find out about the midside and the more of you there are the more show there will be and the more we will witness the farce together Go get your Midside merch at themidside.com slash store where you can pick up your false dichotomy bro t-shirts the line dropped not once but twice this episode by yours truly. You can also support the show by going to patreon.com slash the midside or the midside.com slash Patreon or locals where you can support us either by episode or by month, depending on your choice that helps us keep the lights on. Boy, I've missed saying that. And uh, of course, one more reminder to tell a friend it's really important. Thank you so much. And until next time, we love you. This concludes your journey into the midside. I'm Justin Emlesneski reminding you that if things get tough, take a step back and witness the farce. Have a 3D printed house. Were you really going to say it's 3D printers all the way down and I said it yes, right before? Yes, I unequivocally you. was going to say, <laughs> if that 3D printer printed itself into existence, what printed? And it was just going to be 3D printers all the way down. Yes. So we are, um, we are simpatico in our stupid jokes.